When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Even Trey, when he has like great games or when he does things that like everything is like, but can he continue yes. it? Can Trey Young carry this team? Is he a superstar that can? And it's like, well, at what point do you prove you can? And I know that winning matters. So I do get that. But I think he's been pretty consistent. He had a consistent playoff run where every team we played against thought they had the remedy of how to stop Trey Young. Everybody had <laughs> a Trey Young get- stopper. Let's <laughs> trap him at half court. Get the ball out of his hands. Let's after every pick and roll, blitz him. Like everybody had an idea of how they could stop Trey Young, and everybody realized that Trey Young is still going to do Trey Young things. Okay, so Jason, listen. Yes. It's our first show since Thanksgiving, and I'm feeling real thankful and grateful. But I had a blast with my family in West Virginia, as I always do. Didn't wear makeup for four days. So to me, that was like a real break. So how was your turkey day? It was great. I I had a friend's Thanksgiving uh, at my friend's uh, parents' house in Ojai. They were, uh, shout to Zach Schwartz and his wonderful parents. Uh, they uh, could not have been better hosts. Turkey was on point. The mashed potatoes and gravy were on point. It was all fantastic. I had, uh, FaceTimed with uh, my family back in New York. Uh, my mom was screaming at me to watch Yellowstone on Peacock. Uh, got to talk with them, talk to my uh, nephew, who is now three and a half. And is mad at my mom because she doesn't know enough comic book characters. Oh, wow. Um, so it was fun. It was a good time. And then I recently, this weekend, I had my booster shot. Oh, and boy. I'm just coming out of the haze of that. It was, it was a it was an absolute mess this weekend. It got a little foggy for me as well. <laughs> I'm just coming off of my booster shot as well. Me and the wifey got it. She slept for a full day pretty much after she got it. I've been like chugging along, um, but yeah, that booster shot, I had to get it for work. No you know, when you have to be around the NBA players, you have to like stay up with the Joneses. Yeah. So I had to, you know, get shot up, but yeah, I'm recovering. I know that you probably had, you got hit hard. You were like recovering like a hangover recovery pretty much. <laughs> I, like, mean, I, was, I was telling you, so, you know, obviously this is a podcast, you can't see it, but uh, um I have like a mark on the bridge of my nose from where my glasses pushed into my face when I just like fell asleep with my glasses on hard against the pillow. And, you know, there's like four empty Gatorade bottles on the floor of the bedroom I need to clean up. It's it was a mess, a mess. Uh, Listen, well, best wishes. I hope you I hope you (laughs) get through it, Jason. We're pulling for you. But I'm glad that we're both being we're both being responsible. Yes, of course. We don't just talk about it. We about we be it. about it. <laughs> we be about it. Renee, over the weekend, Oklahoma football coach Lincoln Riley accepted the head coaching job at USC. Yep. 
There's a lot of buzz around the Trojan fan base as Riley is known to be a very smart, offensive mind and also a stellar recruiter. So we had to bring in my former colleague, okay. USC alum, ESPN college football personality. You've seen him on your television screens <laughs> wearing contact lenses. He's Paolo Ugetti. Paolo, how are you? Man, I'm great. I feel like we're... <laughs> That uh, Paul Rudd meme where it's like, look at us, like just connecting <laughs> yeah, know, on a different platform. Look at you us. Know? Just, it's, look it's, at it's been a minute. Who thought? I know. <laughs> uh, Paolo, if you had to guess before this move happened, who did you think would be the next football coach at USC? Man, I, I thought they were going to have to pick up somebody who was not going to be a glitzy, a glam name. You know, somebody who, you know, is a good coach, but wasn't going to bring a lot of flash. You had a guy like Matt Campbell in Iowa State who seemed to be kind of the, the leader of the pack. You know, they were, they were linked to Dave Aranda and with Baylor for a little bit, but he quickly shut that down. So there was not a lot of – there were not a lot of big names out there to get. So the fact that they went and got Lincoln Riley, I mean, there was a huge shock value to that, but it's also like the best – one of the best coaches you could have possibly gotten, which nobody saw coming. So it's interesting because a lot of our listeners, they know about the money and high stakes when it comes to the business of pro sports, and that's football, basketball. But are there any financial details that you could kind of give us about what's going on here? I don't have any details, but I will tell you what USC, I, 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 I don't doubt that what USC had to give Lincoln Riley to move him from Oklahoma, where he's gone to the playoff a handful of times. He's developed two Heisman winning quarterbacks. He has it pretty comfortable there. He could have stayed there his whole career if he wanted to, more likely. Yeah. So whatever that price tag looks like, it, <laughs> it it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot. It's gonna be up in you know one of the, one of if not the highest paid coach in college football. Um, you know, being based here in LA, it's kind of like impossible to ignore, uh, you know, the vibe around the city after USC got smoked by Stanford. Um. There was a level of like real anxiety and and near panic, it felt like. And I'm not even a college football person, but it was impossible to ignore it. How influential was that? And, you know, the influences of some of the, uh, you know, really uh, important boosters for USC. How how important was that in the decision to, to bring on Lincoln Riley? Yeah. Well, I think it was, I mean, people have this misconception about USC fans in LA that because it's LA, it's casual and it's, you know, we have so many other things no, to people do. People are like, crazy. People, people <laughs> can get super riled up about it. And, and honestly, they've been riled up about Clay Helton for years since I was there at the school. It, they've been wanting to get him out for so long that when it finally <laughs> happened, it kind of was like, this is actually happening. But, you know, you could argue that they pulled the, they pulled the trigger too late on that. But the fact that they were able to recover this way, I mean, I don't know if you could ask them, you know, give them truth serum and ask them, you know, did you know you were going to get Lincoln Riley when you fired Clay Helen? But <laughs> yeah. the fact that they did is crazy. And and it's really, I mean, going from, no offense to Clay Helen, he was the right guy for the program when they needed to save face. But now they're like actually trying to revive the program, be good on the field and just have, bring back that USC brand that, you know, Reggie Bush and Pete Carroll kind of established. So there had to been a huge, huge push, not only financially, but also just, you know, I, I, it seems like from the reports out there that they, you know, pitched Lincoln Riley over Zoom, you know, just after the loss the other night. And we're just like, here's everything we can give you. And uh, I mean, that's, that's, that, that's how you got to do it. I mean, that's how you got, I mean, I, I would have liked to know, like, 
you know, maybe we'll get an answer to this, but what would have happened if they would have won, they would have beat Oklahoma State? Like, does that change the timeline? Does that mean he's not coming? There's so many uh, ripple effects to that loss, for sure. Well, you talked about they wanted to get back to the winning and build the program. So just to put things into context, in five seasons with Oklahoma, Riley had a 55-10 and 10 record, won four Big 12 titles, had three football playoff appearances, success, to say the least. So my question is, what is the Oklahoma fan base feeling right now? Like, they couldn't have seen that coming, right? Man, it, it, they're struggling. They're tweeting, they're tweeting through it. They're... <laughs> They're really just, tweeting you know, they're, they're tweeting through. I, it, there's no other way to put it. You know, there's people, you know, doing the math on the, what the, what the, how many, how many more taxes Lincoln Riley is going to have to pay just by living in California. Like, <laughs> there's, big man. Yeah, there, there's people talking about how he's scared of going to the SEC because Oklahoma is eventually going to move right. to the SEC. So there's, there's a lot of uh, tough reaction. I mean, and, and really the way that it all went down, I think contributes to that, which like, Coaches do this all the time, right? But the fact that he did it just after the loss, they were traveling this morning from the Oklahoma City airport, and it was him and, like, four of his assistant coaches just getting on a plane, a private plane, to come to L.A. So the fact that it was just done, the way it was done, you know, it, it's, 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 almost like a, it's almost like a TV show of sorts, but it's it, it definitely pouring salt on the wind for Oklahoma fans. Uh, we don't have that truth serum, but, <laughs> I mean, do you think the SEC move had anything to do with it? I, you have to imagine that it was at least a factor in some capacity, just because there's a lot of uncertainty there financially, yeah. com- you know, from a competitive standpoint, like that's a whole other world. Like it's, it, it is not easy being a SEC head coach. And, you know, honestly, like a lot of people are like, he doesn't want the SEC smoke, but like, if you were him, why would you, when you know, you can yeah, get, why, to, why? when yeah. you know, you can yeah. get to the college football playoff from the Pac-12 every year, you can have you can rebuild the program, and then if you end up winning a title with USC, you're you're set. You know, so there's a lot of advantages to to the move, and 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 frankly, timing wise, it made a lot of sense for him now in retrospect. Well, you know, we were actually talking about this in the pre pro meeting about there seems to be a lot of movement with college football coaches, and so even if they're at the top program, it doesn't matter. We're seeing a lot of movement as opposed to college basketball, where you don't see that carousel at the top teams. What, why do you think that is? There's just there's a crazy. I mean, I think this year has been crazier than past years, but there's just like a general impatience. And you would think that maybe it's because there's a little more parity this year that you, that there are teams that talk themselves into thinking like, why can't we be Oklahoma State and be on the fringe of the playoff? You know, what's stopping us? Right? There's that. There's just the money has gone so absurd that buyouts are no longer hurdles. Like, you know, boosters will recoup the money and, and figure out a way to, to change coaches. If, if it, it, It's wild. I mean, it really comes down to just people being like, there's an impatience, I think, across the yeah. sport to win. And it's crazy because the limited playoff field, I think, has caused that in some way because now it's very clear which four teams are the teams that are doing well at the end of the year. And I wonder, because there's a lot of talk of the, the field expanding to 12 eventually, and I wonder if that's going to change that. I, for one, it's going to make for a lot fewer debates which frankly i i wish that they they, they stuck i mean i guess you're always going to debate like 13th team versus the 12th team but yeah. i think the debate is part of the fun of having a limited field so i'm curious to see how the expanded field factors into how you know teams look at coaches he's a college writer for espn paulo ugetti thanks for joining us on take line thank you guys for having me 
This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear debris with the 40-volt jet fan leaf blower. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Renee, uh, what many are calling the most significant NBA game of the last hundred years took place <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> In Atlanta at State Farm <laughs> Arena, where the Knicks took down the Hawks 99-90. Uh, first time we've played each other since the postseason when Trey Young threw us on the grill, barbecued us, flipped us over, barbecued the other side, got those nice grill marks on it, and then sent us out to get eaten up. Uh, uh-huh. Kemba Walker and Derrick Rose did not play, and the Hawks uh, suffered a couple injuries during the game. Bogey, the big one. Uh, where do you take stock of... The Hawks at this point in the season, uh, where do you take stock of, of both of our teams at this point in the season? Yeah, you know, this is the point of the season, and I will just say I did want to win that. I don't care. Like, I know you made a joke <laughs> at the top of it, but it's know, just right? like I think a rivalry developed last year. And, I think so, and, too. and so I love it, and I want to lean into the rivalry, so I know we lost it, and I'm like, I am mad about that. Yes, we had injuries. Yes, you guys were missing players, so we just going to take the L. I wanted to win it. Um, but to that point, this is the point in the season where you got to make something shake. Like whether if if you're not winning or you're not performing to the level that you want to perform at, there's going to be some shakeups happening. And so for our team, like I, you know, you asked me about it a couple weeks ago, when will I start to hit the panic button? When will I start to be worried? And I was like, look, we got a killer home stretch coming up in a sense Mm -hmm. of a lot of games in a row. You have to win a certain portion of your home games to be successful. I know that we always protect home court. So for me, the telling sign for us was, how do we play at home? You know, figuring out on the road against top five teams on the West is just not the easiest thing to do. And we kind of figured it out so far. I was happy to see that we hit a streak until y'all stopped it. Um, but we were we were streaking and feeling good and starting to play the right way. We got a couple injuries now, so I don't know what it's going to look like for the next couple of weeks. But I'm comfortable if that's a good word to use in sports, it's not. But I'm comfortable with where we're at because we're starting to get there. I can feel us getting there. Um, With your Knicks, you know, my guy, Kimba Walker, he's UConn, you know. So I saw that you guys just benched Kimba. But like I yep. said, it's, it's that point in the season where you got to make something shake. You can't just keep losing and keep doing the same thing. It's been enough time from beginning to now. Um, How are you feeling about your Knicks and also, you know, our squads? We got a little something here, people. Now we can talk about it. Yeah, you, you mentioned it. Tom Thibodeau uh, this morning, uh, it is Monday afternoon here. He uh, announced that uh, Kemba Walker would be out of the rotation as of now. Uh, continuing, he said, quote, it would be tough to play three small guards together. 
Um, and that he continued that he has great respect for Walker and all he's accomplished, which which that worried me a little because that was like that was like he's done done. Yeah, that language. felt like a goodbye. That felt like that goodbye. felt like that felt concerning. I I will say that so uh, it you know Alec Burks who uh, was in the starting lineup in the game against Atlanta and you know just played great, which. Yeah. That is kind of a Tom Thibodeau trademark is having a longtime bench guard just kind of like come through in these situations where they are handed the reins, whether it's DJ Augustin or Nate Robinson. Uh, you can add now Alec Burks to that. You know, I'm feeling like there's some slivers of optimism here. Obviously, our bench unit has been over the last several weeks, incredible. Yeah. Uh, has played at a different pace, at a different intensity level, has made quicker decisions. I think just as a function of being younger guys, you know, maybe not making the best decisions all the time, but I think generally the Knicks need to make better decisions. Uh, no shots at Julius. But he he's kind of like a plodding player in the sense that he gets the ball and then it takes him a second to be like, am I going to drive? I'm going to back this guy yeah. down. You know, like there's not that kind of like high pace of, of passes and decision-making that there is with the younger guys in the, in the bench unit. So, that, so moving Alec Burks, I think is good. And similar to you, I feel like 20 games in, we're a quarter way through the season now. And at this point, you've given players time to show what they can do with yeah. a particular lineup in a particular role. And now it's time to make the hard decisions and you've got that evidence under your belt. And so I think that while I was shocked that Tom Thibodeau made this move this quickly. This is not a thing. A real trademark of Tom Thibodeau over the course of his career has been he will hang on to something until it's proven, yeah. way past time proven that it's time to move on, and then eventually he will move on. You can point to Alfred Payton, you know, starting late into the season last year as as a prime example of that. But I think this was the right move. I think an eventual, maybe a move to the bench you know, Kemba is still scoring pretty well. Um, it's just that it's he's not scoring consistently. And yeah. with the defensive liabilities, it's just really hard to start a game like that. So do you think that this will change the course of, like, how y'all are playing? Do you think that that little switch up, like, what do you think that will do moving forward for you guys? I hope so. I think that it should. You know, it's hard to change a, a, a player's mentality. And Alec, I think, is better suited to play with more ball-dominant, score-first players like Julius and, and Evan. I'm hopeful that this will work, and I think there was a little better continuity in the game against Atlanta, and I'm hoping that is a through line uh, to the rest of the season. Um, as for the Hawks, it's just like all about getting healthy. You guys have the, yes. the one thing that every team in every sport wants, and that is a star. You have uh, Eastern Conference Player of the Week, Trey Young. Yeah. Who is, like, he started hitting these, like, near-logo threes <laughs> yeah. against us in the second half of the of the game where it's just like, I I don't even know what you can do. Like, literally, you can't do anything. No. If you push up on him, he's just going to drive by you. And shoot the float game or throw And the shoot wild. the float game, which he is elite at. Yeah. And if you don't close on him, as he showed three, four times against us, he will hit that shot. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> about the rest of the team getting healthy yeah. and, and putting together a run of games 
where they can just all be out there building that chemistry. That's all. You know, that's really been our Achilles heel, yeah. like just health. I mean, we just talked about it even against y'all. First of all, why'd y'all have to figure things out against us? You know, all of a sudden people ain't playing. Different people are in the starting lineup. We needed it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, I, y'all working things out now, changes being made off of our game. There's mm-hmm. that. But then, you know, I talked about it, even in the game against you guys, we had two injuries. Yeah. We and and now Bogey's out two weeks, and that's been the story of our one. season. Even with Trey Young and what happened to us last year, stepped on a rest foot, changed our whole season. Yeah. Like it changed the whole series, and so health is huge for us. But I want to know at what point does Trey Young like? I think Steph mm. Curry right now is the MVP. But at what point does Trey Young's stats allow him to be in the conversation? Like, is there a point or does it not matter that's what great, his stats? That's a great question. Like, at what point? Uh, I would, uh, I'll put this forward. I think if, if, if your Hawks had come out a little stronger at the beginning of the season. Yeah. I think he'd be in the conversation. I think he'd be in, I think you'd hear people say dark horse MVP candidate, Trey Young. I think it was, it's just a matter of winning. So does winning matter for MVP? Like, see, this is the thing in sports, especially basketball, the great debate. Yeah. Does your team need to be a winning team to be MVP? I, I think yes. I think one of the brilliant, you know, marketing moves. And or all-star because there's been all-star debates about that as all-star, well. All-star, I don't think it's important. I don't think it's as okay. important. Obviously, there is there is okay. an importance to winning, right? But I think with MVP, it's it's different. Like, listen, the, the, the NBA is very smart in that they've never defined what the MVP is. There's no criteria. Never. And they never will. Exactly. Right? They never they will because they love this debate. But one of the most consistent, uh, you know, categories for deciding the MVP over time has been winning. The stats need to be out of this world, like Wilt Chamberlain type shit, if you're going to be a middling team. Yeah, well, Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double. That's historic. It was a historic event. Yeah. It was a historic year, and he got MVP, although his team wasn't at the top of the rankings. But then it goes back to winning matters unless it's historic. Right. I I, I think that's the case. And look, I believe, like, I'm somebody that— I want that. Like you can, anybody can be great on a bad team because you can shoot all the balls. You're going to get everybody's C game. And people don't take into account the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry gets everyone's A game. Like that matters because I can even remember with the Hawks last year, a lot of times teams might rest players when they played us. Like it would be the game where they took a chance to see if they could win it, still a win on the road rest a couple players here and there. Ain't nobody doing that against the Golden State Warriors unless they're like, we'll just let this game go. But typically, Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors are getting every team's best shot, which is why I think that to be MVP, you got to be on a good team because if you're not getting everybody's best shot, you're out there shooting 45 shots a game, averaging 100 points a game. Who cares? Like your team, like that, that doesn't really matter, does it? So I always like, I like that the MVP should have a winning team because then it puts the president on, you need to make sure your team is good and not individual. But I'm just always curious. So the Atlanta's 11 and 10. Let's say they were 14 and six. First of all, they'd be top of the Eastern Conference or tied top yeah. of the Eastern Conference with, with the Brooklyn Nets. But uh, I think people be talking about it, don't you? People be talking uh-huh. about Trey Young as MVP? Yeah, I do. I think winning matters. I was just curious if... Even if we started to win, because I hear like rumblings of how people talk about even Trey when he has like great games or when he does 
things that like everything is like, but can he continue it? Can Trey Young carry this team? Is he a superstar that can? And it's like, well, at what point do you prove you can? And I know that winning matters. So I do get that. But I think he's been pretty consistent. He had a consistent playoff run where every team we played against thought they had the remedy of how to stop Trey Young. Everybody had <laughs> a Trey Young get... stopper. Let's trap him at half court. Get the ball out of his hands. Let's after every pick and roll, blitz him. Like everybody had an idea of how they could stop Trey Young. And everybody realized that Trey Young is still going to do Trey Young things. So I'm just curious, when do people believe it or what's going on here? Let me ask you this because I think this is this is an interesting question. I and mean, we talked about this in the pre-pro. Do you feel that Trey, who is, I think Trey is shooting 51% from three over his last four or five games. Like that, His numbers are that, wild. Just, that's wild video game shit. Um, <laughs> do you think, do you think that, I'm not going to say he's disrespected, but if there's a level of not appreciating what he is doing on a night in and night out basis. Cause it's not like. Definitely. It, it's I, like I he does this on a regular basis. Don't believe yeah. it. I don't know what it's like. Something about it. It's like, I think that the Hawks already have a stigma of losing. So people don't really right. fool with losers right, in, right. in general. So you can't really be a superstar and lose all the time. That to me is an oxymoron. And so I think that because of that, it's like people don't necessarily know if they should trust it yet, if they should believe it. So that's why I asked, I wonder how many years does Trey Young need to be consistent for people to at least believe that he is who he says he is? Because last year it was like when he came on the scene, they were like, he's playing incredible. I can't believe some of this stuff. And we're like, I, I, I cover the Hawks. So I watch him do exactly what he did now, last year. And again, winning matters. So I get that, but I'm curious because I know there's a lot of superstars on non-winning teams that don't necessarily get the same type of skepticism that Trey Young gets. So I'm always curious of when will people believe like <laughs> Trey Young and his stats? Like when when does his stats speak for himself? I think there is I, I will say that I think there is a stigma to being a small score first player. Like people always want to yeah. s- believe, especially a shooter. I think people always want to believe, oh, they got hot. Oh, they got lucky. And especially when you're not tuned into a team on a regular basis and you just see these numbers pop off on ESPN or wherever on take line, you just think, oh, this he's hot. He got hot again. He got hot from the outside, hit six of eight or whatever in a game. And that's, but over when you watch him, you mentioned it. It's like, I, so many Knicks fans last postseason we're like oh you got so angry you gotta get physical with him you gotta you gotta punish him on the defensive end you gotta target him on defense and you gotta it's like if we could do that you don't think we would do that (laughs) if if tom thibodeau had the horses to do that you don't think he's trying to do that there's a reason that (laughs) that yes there's a reason reason that somebody is is happening yes and so that's my thing it's like Trey Young over the course, and look, it was only one time, and I know you have to, the test of time is the biggest test in sports, but what happened last year in the playoffs was what happened last year in the second half of the season. When Coach Nate McMillan took over the team, Trey Young was consistent from that point on until he stepped on the ref's foot. Like, there was not a, there was not a difference. It was like, Trey Young is roasting people. People tried to get physical, as you talked about, so I'm always just curious, like, I'm just curious when... Is Trey Young's stats going to speak for themselves?
Renee, uh, as a member of my elementary school chess club, this is very exciting <laughs> for me. Uh, the biggest chess competition in the world is happening right now. The World Chess Championship is going down over in the United Arab Emirates. To talk about it, uh, we're really excited to be joined yes. by Maurice Ashley. He not only joins us from the UAE, uh, where it is late at night, so thank you very much, and where he is also covering the event for NBC Sports. He is a chess grandmaster himself, the first African-American to attain the rank, uh, by the way. So this is very exciting. Maurice, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. There's only two players in the event right now, and it's the world champion, Magnus Carlsen, and he's playing against the challenger, Jan Nepomuchi of Russia. Magnus is from Norway. There's 2 million euros, about $2.3 million on the line. I wish, I wish I was competing (laughs) in this event. And this is a huge coup because after the Queen's Gambit came out, I don't know if you guys saw that series, but after the Queen's Gambit came out, chess just went crazy. You know, like Renee's into chess. Renee's into chess. You know. I'm into the Queen's Gambit and now I am into chess, baby. That's what's up. So, you know. (laughs) Something must have happened in the water somewhere to change the direction of the universe and the poles for Renee to be like, I'm in the chest now. I'm rocking. So that's what's happened. And NBC is into chess. So, you know, it's even wilder how you get NBC sports into chess. So I'm calling this doing half hour recap shows, not the whole game, which can take three, four five hours, but half hour recap shows that actually a couple of already appeared on NBC sports, uh, so you guys can check it out, check your local times in NBC Sports Network, and I'm hosting the show. For those of us who, uh, you know, maybe some people are, are familiar with speed chess or different forms of chess, what are the rules for this level of event? Well, this is what we call classical chess. Speed chess are pretty, it's pretty quick. Games end really fast. But classical chess is what most people know about, and that is they get two hours for the first 40 moves. And the clock has two faces, as you've probably seen in Queen's Gambit. It has two faces. When you hit one side, your time stops. The other person's time starts. Each of you has two hours to make 40 moves. And those moves are being recorded officially, so we know exactly what number you're on. If you don't make your 40th move inside of two hours on your time, you have two hours of thinking time, then you actually lose the game 99% of the time. You will lose the game. The other time is when the opposition has nothing at all on the board but a king. So you cannot lose because they can't beat you with just a king. But if they have anything else, basically, you just lose. You ran out of time. Wow. They still have time on their clock. You know, they might have an hour left. So you just wasted your two hours. So you have to really, it's time management. It's time pressure. Once you get to 40 moves, then you get an additional hour. And you have to make 20 more moves. And then after that, you get more time as well. But uh it eventually gets to sudden death and you just run out of time no matter what. So that's how it is. That's why the games last a lot more. It's a lot more precise games, a lot more thinking time, and a lot more work for the commentators, frankly, because when the games start going <laughs> long, man, you, you ain't got nothing to talk about. It's like, yo, what are we going to talk about? Let's talk time. about dinner. Yeah, really that's is. a long time. And so you talked about the huge pot, which is amazing for the players to earn their money from. So what's the current tally now between Magnus and Jan, like, what? What is it? Um, have we seen like their matches? Is this like a heavy hitter in the in the chess world? Will we consider this like the heavy hitter matchup that everyone wanted to see? Absolutely, M- Magnus is the number one player in the world from Norway. He's like a he, he's like a bad boy, but he's also a model. Uh, he, he's model for <laughs> G Star Raw jeans. Absolutely, Magnus is just like 
he's like the greatest thing that ever happened to chess basically because he's he's he became a champion who was, was uh 22 years old so young phenom he's the number one player for the last almost 12 years and i mean in Norway, he's just a rock star. Like, he's like a straight rock star. But even around the world, all chess players are like Magnus. Like, who names their kid Magnus? <laughs> like, that's somebody with a vision, right? That's somebody who's like, he's going to be magnificent. Let's King call him Richard Magnus. type vision, okay? You know? <laughs> exactly. So that's Magnus. Jan Nepomnesi, Jan is from Russia. He's, um, he, he's less like, you know, the pretty boy uh, personality type. He's not as good in, in front of the camera as Magnus is with the great smile and, you know, the cool uh, California, cool kind of look. But he's trying to take the title back to Russia. Russia hasn't had the title since 2007. And they used to rule chess. You know, they used to yeah. be like, this is chess is a Russian game. It's like, nah, it, that changed in 2007. And now other people have taken, other countries have taken the mantle. And so Russia no longer owns the title. So they are rooting for their boy like crazy. They send Vladimir Putin probably has like a line like, Oh, Lord! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you better win, yeah. You better win. <laughs> you know what I mean? They probably got everybody, you know, just like backing that boy to win. Trust me. Uh, it's serious in their country, you know? So that's how they seriously, they take it. Jan is one of the top, he's not the second best player in the world, but he's one of the top five players in the world, but he won this big tournament that made him qualify to play. So they're tight right now. The score is tied at one and a half, one and a half. That means three draws. When you get a draw, you only get a half a point. So okay. Magnus has not been able to hit him yet. This guy is the number one player in the world and he can't land a punch because this guy who's like one of the top five, he's like, nah, I'm not playing like that. I prepare for you. I'm ready. So chess players, we look at draws and we're like, we don't really happy with the draws. But they're so good that they just you play it out. They don't beat each other that often. So we're looking for the first win. Wow. Any any uh, interesting over these three matches thus, thus far, any interesting strategic wrinkles that we've seen the, the players deploy? And secondarily, how do they decide on a draw? Do they just get to a certain point of the game and go, you know what? I don't see a way forward from here. And they both agree on that and then they shake on it. And that's it. It's well, I'll ask you a second question first. Uh, you guys play tic-tac-toe, right? I mean, yeah, I know you guys like a little tic-tac-toe. A little tic-tac-toe. You know that if you're a good player at tic-tac-toe, you're not going to lose a tic-tac-toe. Right, I mean, never, right. you're not, yeah. you know, you put just put the X in the right spot. Though. Yep. I'm not going to lose. We could play 100 games. I'm not going to lose. Chess on that level can sometimes become like tic-tac-toe. Hmm. Like to them, they look at the board like, you're not beating me in this position. You're just not, you just can't win. And so everybody sees it as like, this is just a draw. Nobody can win. So we have a lot of situations, much more complex than tic-tac-toe, but still simple enough that the good players yeah. are like, ain't nobody winning this one, right? So we got to call this one a draw. That's what happens. But then there are some situations that are so complicated, it ain't no tic-tac-toe, it's yeah. chess. And somebody might win. And then if you make a mistake, then somebody definitely will win. So that's what, the, it's all about the pressure Really? And you talk about the strategic wrinkles. The, the thing is that right now, Magnus is trying to play a little bit more risky. He, like the first two games, he gave away a pawn early in the game. He's like, I want to keep this risky, complicated. Maybe I'll give you something so I can get something else. Right. So he's trying to be aggressive as possible. But Jan is like, no, 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 no. Block, block, block. Sorry. I know. Kung Fu. And just shutting it down. So that's what's happening right now. We're going to see whether or not Magnus can even up the risk game a little bit, maybe give away a little bit more something to take his chances. I doubt it, though, because at this level, you know, you take too many chances, you just might get stabbed. So we got to we got to see what they come up with in order to change 
this trend because we don't want to see all draws. You know, that's like kissing your sister. It's not working. It's like, <laughs> we need some victory. We need victories. Victory, baby. Okay, so you've gotten a lot of victories. You're a chess grandmaster, but you're also a huge part of just the entire event. You introduce the opponents. You're reporting the matches from NBC. So has there been anything about the tournament, the players, from your perspective, that surprised you this far? Like, you know how March Madness might have huge surprises, maybe upsets, but storylines that developed. Has anything happened that surprised you? No. No. Unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's been three draws. What do you want me to say, Renee? It's been three draws. We're just like, No, you ain't got to make it up. Keep it 100. Somebody win a game. Somebody win again. We we try to hype this for NBC Sports. NBC yeah. like Queen's Gambit just showed that chess can be exciting. Yeah. So we want to see victories. That's what we want to see. And these guys are just so good that they're spoiling my show. I need them to spice <laughs> it up with a bit. Somebody just needs to just make a mistake. Something just just make a mistake on purpose. So we can take one for the team. <laughs> take one for the team. <laughs> Mo is begging you, please, just to lose a game and let we could be that something to talk about. Honestly, it's just been. A strategic battle. It's just two gangsters. They, they, you know, it's like it's like martial artists. You know, these tenth degree black belts, and they just looking at each other like, "Nah, I'm not doing nothing." Too funny because I know the other guy can yeah. knock me out. I'm just yeah. not going to do that. So they're just playing within with just within the margin of error, and we're just hoping that somebody gets either too eager, too greedy, maybe a little bit nervous as the tension builds. The thing is, it's 14 games. This is the beautiful part. It's 14 games they got to play. They play three already, three draws. If they somehow manage to do the old nasty and draw 14 games in a row, then it goes to a tiebreaker, which is uh, rapid chess, where the time gets truncated. Instead of having four, five, six, seven hours, you have one hour, both of them, each only have half an hour on the clock to play the whole game. See, I'm ready for that. I'm, I'm yeah. here for that. We could just jump to that. We're just like, let's just jump yeah. to that. <laughs> They're already I'm black belts. They're already at the, at the <laughs> highest level. You guys need speed chess there or, or rapid chess. Exactly. And by the way, they tied rapid chess. Then we go to speed chess. Five minutes, like boom, 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 wow. boom. And That's then you got to pay attention. Give the people what yeah. they want. That's what's up. That's what I'm saying. But, you know, chess is traditional. It's old school. <laughs> it's it like, you know, no, for, it's, you know, this game goes back. The championships go back to, I believe it's 1886. Was wow. one of the first championship one. And check this out. Since 1886, just to show you how serious chess is. Since 1886, there have been, I, I ask you to guess how many champions since 1886. And my math is right. 114, 135 years. How many champions, world champions, since 1886? Make a guess. What would be logical? 15. That's a great guess. It's actually 16. Very well done. But 16 champions since 1886. You said, so when you're the best player in the world, you stay the best. You dominate. Emmanuel Lasker was the longest reigning champion. He dominated for 27 years. 27. Gary Kasparov dominated for 15 years. Didn't lose 15 years. All right. What That's was the money like? Were they, because like 2.3, what are we at right now? It's kind 2.3 of. 2.3 million. So imagine you dominate for X amount of years. Yeah, you cashing out. You cashing out. That's right. Paper, paper. The, the champion, state champ, they, they're the top people. They keep the money. You know, and that's what Magnus is talking about. I mean, he's yeah. 
He's been champion since 2013. He won his first match in his first match in 2013. This is his fourth title defense. This, so this is his fifth match. He's been getting ching ching all this time. Goodness. I mean, it's been sweet for him. So Woo. that's what's up. Uh, you, you've, you're a great ambassador for the game and have been, uh, you gave a TED talk uh, about uh, chess strategy and how it has affected your life. What, what are some of those life lessons that you give people? Man, chess has so many lessons. This, this could be another hour, two hours, three hours. I'll take over your show. But I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, the great thing about chess, there's certain things that I really love to talk about with chess. But I was on the Trevor Noah show. He asked me some more questions. And I always come back to this one, this one answer that is really my favorite. And that is chess teaches you to think about other people first. Like, I got to think about how you think, right? What do you want? You know, when Renee says, what do the people want? You, when you're in a, a setting, but you're playing a chess game, it's not, oh, I have this beautiful idea. Oh, I want to try this. I want to try this. No, no, no. The other player has got guns. Right? They got guns. They got, they're going to shoot you. You have to know how they're going to shoot you first before you do anything. So just that you got to do the same thing in business. You got competitors in business. It can't be, I got a great product. Somebody else got the same product. You're going to have to think about what they're doing and what their strategies for success. You're in a great relationship. What is a great relationship? Listening to the other person. If you ain't listening, oh, it's just about you. Failure. And so in chess, the one thing we do is we understand you got to think about the other person first and then about what you want to do. But you've got to take their thoughts, their ideas, their intentions into account. And that's probably the greatest life lesson hmm. I ever get from chess is listening well. Well, you know, I learned that on the Queen's Gambit. So thank you. For, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for saying that. But it was interesting because with Netflix news show, we talked about it a little bit with the Queen Gambit. What is the goal of for chess? You know how you said you're hyping it up on NBC, like with the women's sports side. We want more exposure. We want more media coverage. We only get 4% of media, all media coverage, 4% only goes to women. So what's the hope for chess that, was it Queen's Gambit and Ride the Wave, NBC picked it up? Is it like, what do you guys see this going? I've been trying to hype chess for the last 30 years. <laughs> chirp, chirp, chirp. <laughs> Everybody's been trying to do it. Queen's Gambit comes along and just fire, just like that. We got lucky, frankly. We we're riding the coattails, the wave of Queen's Gambit. And it was saying, look, people actually can feel chess as dramatic. People want to see that. You could, you just have to film it the right way. If you see the show, uh, check it out. You'll see that we're filming it completely differently from any chess show. You know, I'm from I'm from Brooklyn. Like when I okay. you know, first of all from Jamaica, Yadwa. When we hey. talk, we talk hey. about hey. hey, let me tell you. All right. When we talk about something, it's not going to be quiet. It's not quiet. We have never been accused of being quiet in Jamaica or in Brooklyn. No, you're going to get the passion, the energy, the, the ferocity, the desire, the intensity. When I'm in a game, man, my boy, people are like, what's up with Maurice? Is he watching chess or is he watching the NBA final? Steph Curry. Boom. What a shot. Hit it. That's how I call chess. So we, we try to bring that flavor to chess, that energy. Even if they look slow, the, the players themselves are feeling that intensity and that nervousness inside and anxiety. They might look like Joe Cool on the outside, but they feel the fire on the inside. So we try to bring that out. And so we're riding the drama that Queen's Gambit was able to bottle and show. We're trying to do that now and wow. possibly bring it to a wider audience. And you talk about 4%. You know what Chester's getting? What y'all got? <laughs> they don't even <laughs> calculate the numbers. You didn't even make the pie chart, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about it. Uh-uh. Well, we know. We're trying. 
We try. If, I, if we can get to your four percent, we'll take it. But but yeah, but yeah. honestly, you see, perspective honestly, is everything. Yeah, that's right. You know. Uh, but but that said, you're right. Women's sports should get much more of their due, and let's hope that that number for you and for chess jumps in the near future. Let's get it. Outside the box, like you all are on NBC, that's huge. Um, is there, and you mentioned like what a, what a conservative and traditional sport chess is. Is there anything like outside the box, for instance, going to the, to the rapid round quicker, going to the speed round quicker, having some other t- type of tournaments that could be used to boost chess? Honestly, there are great rapid and blitz tournaments that are already out there. They're not the traditional world championship. This is the jewel of our sport, right? Yeah. But it may be not the best televisable event, frankly. So NBC is going to watch this and others are going to watch and say, okay, what, what else is there, right? This, this may be good because it's the two best players were playing for the biggest prize. But what if we threw a bunch of players, interesting players from all over the world and had them play rapid and blitz that happens just like that and had that speed and we can really get into the games and they're going to be victories, wins and losses because they're going to make mistakes at that speed so the fans will be happy. You know, you put the right money in, the top players would be like, we're playing anything. Just put just yeah, yeah, the right. cheddar on the table. Cut the check. We don't care. Cut just cut. Yeah. That's right. And ching, ching, money talks. So if we do that, then we can really show uh, uh, I mean, we're already doing it. We already have those tournaments. We just need for places like the big networks to be like, okay, we see that chess can work. Let's follow some of these events, maybe a tour, maybe a, a blitz and rapid tour and see whether or not that can work because it's already there. It's just, it's not being shown on camera, at least not in the big networks. Right. So, I mean, since that we're talking about sports, I got to hear some predictions, like who, who yeah. you think is going to win, Magnus, Yen, like, what What are your thoughts? I know we all had draws all the way to this point, but are we going to have draws straight through? Who do you got? So if I'm going to make a prediction, I'm going to say Golden State against the Nets. Ah! That's my prediction. <laughs> I can't be predicting chess on camera. No, I can't do that. I'm calling the match. I, I, I'm also uh, the one introducing the players at the top of the show. I mean, literally call, bringing them on stage. If I do this now, it's going to get out. One of them might be like, yo, what's up, Mo? What's good? I got to stay on bias. That's why I over. never like making predictions either. No, I feel you. Like people, yeah. I don't like making lists. I don't like making top five, top 10. I don't like making predictions. None of that. So I really, I get it. Um, I get it for sure. As long as it's not chess. As long as it's not something I'm working on. You know what I'm saying? I don't want any tampering and side bets. No. <laughs> eh. But if it's like you want to talk basketball now, okay, we ready. We do that. <laughs> Knicks all the way. By the way, that's oh, my squad. Oh, I love to Nick, hear. Knicks. That's my that's my squad. I don't Let's go. Brooklyn. Didn't you just claim Brooklyn? I mean, I was a New York Knicks fan before the Nets ever showed up in BK, oh, so I can't just jump wait. ship like a fair weather fan. I will root for the Nets, mind you, because they are Brooklyn. But the Knicks, you know, orange and blue all day. That's my heart. So I love to hear it. I love to hear it. Well, he is a chess grandmaster, Maurice Ashley, and apparently a Knicks fan. He's at the World Chess Championship as we speak, covering for NBC Sports. Maurice, thank you so much for joining us on today. Thank you. Straight up from Dubai. What's up? Thanks, Hey. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear debris with the 40-volt jet fan leaf blower. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. All right, so listen, we talked about shaking some things up, Jason, and the the coaching hot seat could be making its way, and I say could be because I know Laker Nation is crazy, so I'm saying could be making its way to Laker land. According to Mark Stein, there's some, end quote, buzz. Again, I'm just, end quoting, because I know Laker Nation. So the coaching circles around the league, they're saying there's some pressure mounting on head coach Frank Vogel, the Lakers are 11 and 11, make a wish. As we record this, they just came off of a win against the Pistons, but they lost in a three overtime game to the Kings, who just fired their coach, Luke Walton, again, shaking some things up at this time of the year. It's also the time of the year when coaches have to start making bigger adjustments before we near the All Star break. So, do we think if the Lakers continue these less than stellar performances, will Frank Vogel be in or is he out? Wow. I mean... That's a lot. First of all, Frank Vogel has proven himself to be a good coach, right? Particularly on the defensive end. He won a championship with the Lakers last year. If Frank Vogel is fired, and it's very possible, uh, you know, just because of the Lakers and their timeline and the ambitions that they have, etc., it's not his fault. Like, this is not his fault. The Lakers being 11-11 right now, eighth the West. That's not his fault, right? This roster was assembled uh, by people above Frank Vogel's pay grade. But, but, you know, again, LeBron James' window is we got to get all the wins we can right now. Anthony Davis's window is we got to get all the wins we can get right now. We assembled this roster of, you know, unbelievable uh, marquee names in order to chase that title. Uh, and whenever a team struggles, who is the first person to take the hit? Always, 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 <laughs> always. always. It's always the coach. You always fire it's the, the coach. coach first because you can't get rid of the players, at least not right now, <laughs> and not <laughs> in the way that w- would be a complete like disruption of the team, right? That's That's right. like, that's hitting the... It's breaking the break glass in case of emergency button. And then you can't, you know, you're not going to fire the GM right now. First in the, on the firing line is always the coach. And so I, I could believe it. I could see Vogel getting fired, but I don't think that there's anybody around that thinks, oh man, 
Vogel could have done something. Like I'm not, I'm unclear what he could have done other than, you know, retain uh, Alex Caruso for more money than they offered him <laughs> and, and bring KCP back and, you know, have a team that works together as a team, not as a collection of like big names. Uh, that's not, yeah. that's not his, that's not his fault. What do you think? No, you know, I think that, first of all, they do need those role players. Every team needs role players. Like, if, even if you look at USA basketball and how those teams are constructed, they don't always just get the biggest superstar names, all 12 players or their biggest superstars. Like, sometimes every USA pick, somebody goes, that guy made it? Yeah. Like, you know, like every single time for the Olympics, there's a, wait, that guy made it? And, you know, even... With JaVel McGee coming in, and I know it was because of COVID and different things like JaVale's that. He's playing great right now. <laughs> He's playing great right now, but a lot of people did that with JaVel, and it's like, no, you need certain things. You need pieces. You need to create a full team, and JaVel McGee provides something that the next player doesn't. And so when you start to think about assembling a team and putting it together, you need to build a team whose skill sets go well with each other. Yeah. Like, all skill sets, like, you can't, like, just because you might have these highly skilled players they might not mesh together. They might not play together well. Like there might be things in their games that hinder somebody else's game. And so you have to take all of that into account. Not saying the Lakers didn't, but to your point, they would have definitely benefited from a little Alice Caruso in there for sure of somebody that's your grit player that doesn't need much of anything. They're there to make the other players look better. They're there to play the defense, be the grit, be the grime. You might need to mix in some of those, you know, like in sports, I don't know if it's even allowed to say, but you need some dogs on your team in a sense of that are just going to be spicy, get in there and just like, you know, agitators, disruptors. And then you still need your stars because like you said, every team needs a star. But when you have a Lakers team right now that is second in pace, fifth in points per game at 111, seventh in assists, 18th in defensive rating, 19th in three-point field goals made, 22nd in offensive rating, 23rd in rebounding percentage. Those are like some of those things. That's grit. That's the you need those type of players that are going to like be the every night. Because if you got a LeBron that gets hurt, misses a certain amount of games and he's your main facilitator and you have struggles with Westbrook, you just need the players that are going to put their hard hat on every night and get to work. And so they're going to have to figure something out. I mean, Vogel has made some recent tweaks. Uh, They put LeBron at center recently. Vogel said, quote, we played the second unit that basically closed the game out in Indiana with LeBron and Mello at the four and five, call it a centerless lineup. Uh, There's a lot more space for Russ, which of course they need because Russ, you know, is not a great shooter needs to slash. I will say that. So here's the thing, right? Ever since LeBron started winning championships with Miami and then continuing at Cleveland, there's been a formula, and the formula has been you put shooters around LeBron. A lot of them. A, a lot of them, right? You have a big guy who can protect the rim, play defense, pull down rebounds, and then you have somebody as like your uh, emergency uh, score creation player who can, with the ball in their hands, slash get to the rim when LeBron needs player. to take a, a couple of 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 you know plays off but it's that shooting and defense that you need so again they went away from that i think you could say in in uh deciding on russell westbrook over say buddy healed or you know somebody else but 
that's not Frank Vogel's fault, but what he's been asked to do is kind of like assemble a, a new formula out of this. And it's just going to be, I think it's going to be very tough, especially be, because again, we've seen what winning LeBron James teams look like and are constructed like, and that's not necessarily how this team is constructed. So it feels like if they do fire Frank, the next move is we're going to be active at the trade deadline, right? I I don't know what they could do. And you know, even, even to that point for, I don't want to let like a coach all all the way off the hook because there's, there's rotations, there's minutes management. However, like for instance, certain lineups, what's your golden lineups. And I know you said that they've like been switching up the lineup and different things like that. So those things do matter for coaches and Frank Vogel is 165 and 105 as a Lakers head coach. Um, you know, he's received a one year extension in August. That doesn't show much confidence. A you know, one you see, year extension. <laughs> a one year extension. People want to extend you for one year. They're not doubling down on you, yeah. you know? So maybe there's a play it safe factor too, you know, yeah. but I think at this point it's the shakeup time. Like I said, this is that time. Yeah, of the this season. Is that time. You got to shake something. You got to shake some things up. So if, if, even if it's the Lakers freak is shaking up and it's Frank Vogel or whatnot, but you can't play it safe at this point in the season because teams are surging. The Golden State Warriors oh, don't want to lose it. any more games. That's put a lot like, of pressure on them too, right? Because yes. I don't think they thought the Warriors would be this good this soon. And now all of a sudden it's like, Oh shit. They are the gold, like they are the Golden State Warriors that we knew before. Everyone <laughs> and look, scary. they've been keeping tabs too. Oh yeah, you know? they've been, like, they've they've been, been keeping listening the receipts. To everything, yeah, <laughs> everything people have been <laughs> saying a about folder them. With all the receipts, the dynasty's over. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Draymond Green's skill set is not for the NBA. It only works with the. Uh, they've been keeping receipts. So like Steph giving the refs text. I'm saying there's a lot going on out there. They are turned up. They're fired up. And yeah, that's in the West and LA, I'm sure thought that they was going to be right there in right. the thick of things with Golden State Warriors. I mean, all the top teams we talked about before the season, Brooklyn Nets, they're at the top. Golden State Warriors could be at the, like, they're the ones that are not necessarily right. where we thought everyone thought right. they would be. So there is so much added pressure. And then if you're on a team with the man named LeBron James, right. it's half of their games are on ESPN or TNT. So it's like, we get to see to the same point of a lot of times people don't see what Trey Young does on a normal basis because we don't have those televised games. We watch Everybody. every game of the Lakers. Yes. So we get to see them. They might have only lost two games in a row, but we watch those two games and everybody's like, oh my gosh, the Lakers, as opposed to if you don't watch everything live. So the Lakers are under the microscope. That never helps as well. Yeah, Frank Frank Vogel, cuffing season, one-year extension. <laughs> Like, that is not, you know, they weren't doubling down on my guy. They were just like, here, let me see. We got one more year, Frank. Yeah. Great, great run. Thank you for bringing us another title. Uh, One year (laughs) extension. (laughs) Gosh, it's brutal out here. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube yep. for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which comes out every Friday. Check it out. Goodbye. Let's go! Take Line is a crooked media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. 
engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Do summer projects your way with Memorial Day savings from The Home Depot. With free delivery on over 2 million items, you can make the most of summer grilling... And dig into gardening. Plus, get same-day delivery on thousands of products like power tools and storage to tackle any last-minute garage project. Summer your way with Memorial Day savings from The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.